0: Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And everyone everywhere said with all their hearts, Amen. Did you know that the ancient Roman Empire, before it was an empire, it was a republic? Full of problems, yes it was, but before it became an empire, it was a republic. Until 27, B.C. when Caesar Augustus deemed himself the first emperor. Now you can debate whether or not Augustus made improvements to Rome and beyond, but the truth is, is that Rome went from being a republic to an empire. From the people having power to one person having power. And when commenting on this, the satirical writer Juvenal made this statement. He said the people who used to grant power, high office, the legions, everything, Now curtails its desires, and reveals its anxiety for only two things: bread and circuses. He was saying the people lost their power, but they didn't care as long as they were fed and entertained. Here's the history lesson: people are willing to give up their influence as long as they are satisfied and pacified. Our world can come to ruin our culture given to wickedness as long as we have snacks and sports to watch. Keep us distracted and we'll give up our influence. And what's true about society is even more true when it comes to the spiritual. When faithful people are distracted, the devil is most effective. And with this sermon... And Sermon series, withstand, this is about seeing how the Bible gives us the perspective and the eyes to see and reminding us that the culture war and the things that are going on around us ultimately find their root in the spiritual. That the people, the people around us are not our enemy. The devil and his schemes are our enemy. The world around us is our neighbor, and Christ calls us to love our neighbor as we recognize the devil is having massive influence in this world. And in response to this, God has given us not just the beauty and the power of the gospel, but God has given us spiritual armor, and with that, a call to stand, a call to stand strong. We started this series last week, but as we continue it from here on out, we're going to look at each piece of the armor and what it means and how we might wear it as we stand and face the battles of our time. But before we talk about what's going on out there, we got to make sure that we're addressing the battles in here. So that's where we're going to start as we look at the notion of our our personal distractions versus the truth and righteousness that's given to us. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're with us last week, you should already have a bookmark in that page because this is where we're going to be for this entire sermon series, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, as you're turning there, if you weren't With us last week, let me remind you, Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to the church in Ephesus. And in it, he writes about certain doctrines of the Christian faith and how do we live out certain ethics of the Christian life. But then he closes this letter by talking about the spiritual reality around us, the spiritual battle, and how God has dressed us with a special suit of armor to be able to face the battles that are around us. And so, hopefully, you are to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read simply and only verse 14 today. And so with that, would you hear God's word? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray and let's continue. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we ask that you would help us find our rest, our assurance, and our strength in you. Protect us from the evil one. During this series and in our lives, please continue to pour out your Holy Spirit. In Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fill us, guide us, fuel us for the lives you're calling us to live, that we might know the truth, that that we'd be able to take our stand. We pray these things in the precious and perfect and powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So, church, I hear a lot. I've talked these days about how people are frustrated and angry with all that's going on in our world and in our country. And a lot of this frustration gets pointed towards Christians, that Christians are not stepping up. In fact, many of us are asleep, distracted, when the call on our lives is so great. The devil, it appears, is having so much sway in this world, while Christians just sit idly by, not engaging, and we won't engage as long as we are entertained and have food. We're going to confront this today. And that's what the series is all about. But before, again, I said it before, I'll say it again. Before we can turn our attention to the brokenness that's out there, we must first address it in here, in our own hearts, in our own lives. Before we can talk about being awake for the battle out there, we need to make sure that we are aware that we are dressed for the battle that we face on a daily basis. And so, main point for today as we get going is this. We are most vulnerable when we are most Distracted. We are most vulnerable when we are most distracted. And as we look at this one verse, we're going to look at three key ideas that come from this one verse. And here's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. First thing we'll see is that attention is the antidote for distraction. We're then going to see how truth is the antidote for deception. And we'll close it up by looking at how righteousness is the antidote for dishonor. And so let's look at this first one here. Let's get going. Attention is the antidote for distraction. Our passage starts out very simply. Have your Bibles open. The very first two words here, stand therefore. This is what God calls us to do. This is the opposite of what the devil wants us to do. The devil wants us to fall. Now, we we use phrases like, and you've maybe even heard me use a phrase, something like this. The devil's trying to trip you up. What we're trying to do in this series is, is... Help us to understand the gravity of the situation. The devil's not trying to trip you up. The devil is trying to destroy you. He's trying to devour you. He's trying to keep you from God. He's trying to make you fall. What does that mean? It means to fall into the pattern of this world rather than stand for the kingdom of God. Stand, therefore. What does it mean to to stand? It means to be established. It means to be steadfast. It means to hold your ground when evil advances. And let me just make one observation. I'm going to speak directly to the American church here. So if you're not American, number one, thank you for being here. Welcome. Welcome to the family. But I want to speak to the American church here for a second. I think many people are falling, not because they don't love Jesus. I think many people are falling, not because of apostasy, but because of apathy. They don't engage the battle. They're content just to live their lives. They're satisfied and pacified. We have food, we have our nice houses, and we're the most entertained people of all time. And so the devil has all the power he needs because we're putting up no resistance. You literally have a 24-hour distraction device in your pocket. And we let it distract us rather than using it as a tool to help sharpen us. The devil has everything he needs. He has a powerful church that's satisfied and pacified, happy to stay in the corner as long as they have food and entertainment. Now, let me remind you, attention is the antidote for distraction. Now, if you know me, if you know me at a personal level, you know that it was probably only a matter of time before I brought up chess as an illustration in the sermon. I love to play chess. Anyone else in here like to play chess? Chess? Okay, like five of us, okay. Um, my wife and I play chess all the time. My wife and I, we played six games yesterday. That's how we know we're getting old, right? Now, if you wanna know who the better chess player is between my wife and I, you're gonna to have to ask her. But I can tell you this, when, when we play chess, we typically play at our kitchen table. And uh, if you sit right at our kitchen table, you can see into the living room, and like many people, we have a TV in our living room. Now, if I sit playing chess with my wife, where I can see the TV, and if the kids are watching a show, I am most always going to lose. Even if they're watching a show that I would never personally choose to watch, just the fact that there's something on the TV is a distraction enough for me to lose the game every single time. Why? Because I'm distracted. And when you're distracted, your attention is divided and you can't win a battle if you are entertained elsewhere. So here's the question. Where are you entertained to the point where you are distracted? Where are you entertained to the point where you are distracted? Where are you so entertained you are to the point of no longer being effective for the kingdom of God? Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's money. Where are you entertained to the point where you're no longer effective for the kingdom of of God. Distraction is how the enemy divides your attention. He may not be able to get all of your attention, but if he can distract you and divide you, then he's already won. Now, we talk about this notion of divide and conquer, but did you know that divide and conquer is an ancient military strategy to control or to win against an opposing army or nation? I think it's evolved into this notion that when we talk about divide and conquer, like we're a group of people, so we're going to split up so we can attack more. That's not the genesis of divide and conquer. Divide and conquer was about an army holding together, breaking through a rank so that that army was divided, and then you'd fight and, and win. Divide and conquer is a strategy of the enemy. It should not be one for the church. The church needs to be unified. Unified. I'll remind you, Jesus says in Matthew 12, he said, no city or house divided against itself will stand. The enemy's tactic is to divide and conquer, to divide us and so conquer us, to divide our attention and so conquer us. Divide and conquer is the enemy's tactic, not ours. Church, I'm going to say something here that um, it's going to ruffle some feathers and will probably uh, fill my inbox tomorrow. So here's what I'm going to say. Bring this sermon series full circle before you come at me. You're happy to do what you want. You're an adult. You want to email me? Go ahead. But I'm just going to ask you, bring this sermon series full circle. But I'm going to say something here that I know might ruffle some feathers here. Church, let let me, one more qualifier. Again, this is about giving us the right perspective. Elevating the seriousness of the battle that's around us. Because I'm afraid that many of us were fighting the wrong battles. So here's what I'm going to say. Church, our fight is not simply about imposing our moral ethic upon the nation. Our fight is much bigger than that. We are trying to win the hearts of the people to the gospel so that then we can have true unity in our nation, in our world, under the name of King Jesus and with him as our king, then the kingdom ethic can flourish. Now, do I believe the Christian moral ethic is the best and right ethic out there for humans? Yes, I think it's the best for everybody. We most flourish when we follow God's design. Not saying that, but I am saying many of us were just trying to win the cultural battle rather than winning the hearts of the people to the gospel. We have to stand for the kingdom. We'll never win people to the gospel if they think that we just see them as an enemy to be defeated rather than our neighbor to be won over. We're not trying to defeat anyone. We're trying to save them. We're trying to bring them from a lost and broken world into God's good and glorious kingdom. And until they see that in our hearts, the culture war will rage on, fueled by an enemy who is happy to see us fight the wrong battles. And so when we stand, what we got to do, and this is the extra effort on our part, we have to make sure that the world knows that we don't stand against them. We stand against the enemy. But here's the reality of the situation. The world has so tied up their identity with the brokenness of the world that when we attack the lies of the enemy, they will feel like it's an attack on them because they've so tied their identity to the falsehood of the enemy. And so that's why we constantly have to have the extra burden, constantly repeat ourselves, we're not against you. We're against the forces of evil in this world. We're trying to show you a better, more kingdom gospel way. It's the extra burden on us. It's it's our burden to bear. The world and the enemy will fight at whatever base tactics they want, but we're the ones that have to constantly rise above, holding the mantle of truth and love with every interaction. It is tiresome. But you've got the Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit within you to fill you when the world drains you. And so, before we can have a battle of morals, we need to realize we're in a battle for truth. And the reason that we're in a battle for truth is because we're distracted rather than paying attention. And, and let me just, you can write this down. Two of the primary ways that we are distracted, two of the primary ways that our attention is divided, is because one, we've given ourselves to the lies of the world, empowered by the enemy, but also we've given ourselves to the desires of our heart, which has been broken by sin. And what's interesting is that the first two pieces of armor mentioned address both of those realities. So let's look at the first one, the belt of truth, as we look at how truth is the antidote for deception. So Paul writes to the Ephesians, and by extension, extension, the Holy Spirit still says says to us, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth helps us to recognize the lies of the world. Now, it should be noted that when when Paul, again, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when when Paul was talking about armor, the, the image that came to his mind and the people of Ephesus, their mind, was not, that of a Roman sol- was not that of an American soldier, it was a Roman soldier. Rome had occupied most of the world at that point, so they saw Roman soldiers all the time. They would have thought of a Roman soldier. And so what's interesting to note is that when it came to a belt, a Roman soldier wore that underneath his armor. He wore that underneath his armor to hold all things together and to hold up his pants, So when we talk about the belt of truth, I've often heard people say, well, that means that a belt encircles you so that truth should encircle your life. Yeah, and that's a fine way to understand. I think that's one implication, but I think what you need to understand is that truth is the thing that needs to undergird everything else. Truth is the thing that holds it all together. We cannot lose truth. Our battle first is to make sure we're talking about the same thing, and that's a battle for truth. And so... This world at large is entrapped by the lies of the evil one. They're in a prison cell of lies. And do you know what the key is to break them out of that cell? It's truth. It's truth. One of the most famous sayings of Jesus, one of the most well-loved sayings of Jesus Christ, is when he said, the truth will set you free. Now, even a recent Marvel movie quoted that line. If you go to secular college campuses across the nation, you'll see that phrase engraved in stone on secular college campus buildings. The truth will set you free. But what these places fail to realize is that phrase comes at the end of a much larger thought and sentence from Jesus. Let's put it in context. Here's what Jesus actually said. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just knowing the truth. It's being a disciple of Jesus. And who is Jesus? He told us in John 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is the truth. In a world of opinions and preferences, in a world of popularity and progressivism, To have the belt of truth means that we look to Jesus as our firm foundation, to who he is, to what he taught, and what he's done. Truth may not be fashionable because it confronts what's popular in our culture and it pushes back what's trending online, but truth is eternal. It predates us and it will outlast us. And to put on the belt of truth, here's what it actually means. To wear the belt of truth means that we weigh the message of the world against the message of Christ, we, we weigh the so-called wisdom of the world against the words of Christ. That's what it means to wear the belt of truth. We're constantly filtering the message of this world, and this is why we must know the scriptures so well. This is why we must be in God's Word every single day, seeking it deep into our hearts, getting solid biblical teaching. So here's a question: How long, how often should you do this? Well, I'm gonna blow your hair back every single day. Why? Because you're being lied to every single day. And if you're not constantly equipping yourself with the truth, you're going to fall prey to the lies of the world and the enemy, which are so pretty and they're so attractive and they seem so right, but they're insidious. We need to be in God's word every day because we're being lied to every day. Every day the world buys more and more into the lies of the enemy and tries to regurgitate it to people. So every day we must be equipped with the truth. Psalm 1 verse 2 says this, says blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates. Anybody know it? Day and night. So not just every day, every day and all night long. That we are immersed in the truth so that we will know what the lies are. Every day we must find at least a few moments to be saturated in God's truth. And if you think you don't have time, let me see your phone. I'll show you your screen time. I'll show you you got time for this. I talked to a person after first service and they were talking about, maybe I just need to set set my alarm to, to read God's word. And I'm like, do you need to set your alarm to check your social media? Hmm. Someone needed to hear that. Every day, every day, just a few moments. A few moments in God's eternal truth will have an eternal impact on you. So use your phones to promote truth rather than keep you distracted because truth is the antidote for deception. It's available to you through God's word, open through the teachings of Jesus. And knowing the truth, that's how we pursue righteousness. That's how we know what righteousness is, which is our second piece of armor, third point here today. Righteousness, righteousness is the antidote for dishonor. Our verse continues having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the imagery here should be painfully obvious to you. Physically speaking, a breastplate protects your heart. Spiritually spiritually speaking, that's what righteousness does. It's about protecting our hearts. It's about keeping us focused on godly things that fill us up rather than worldly things that empty us and drain us and defeat us. We are distracted by the lies of the enemy. We said that. That's why we need to know truth, so that we know the lies of the enemy. But righteousness helps us to battle against the brokenness of our hearts. As we looked at, uh, let me remind you what uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says. It says that the, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. The Bible is saying you don't follow your heart because your heart will lead you astray. You are to follow Jesus and he will lead you into the ancient ways full of life. The enemy is after our heart and our heart's already broken. That's why we're so prone to to fail and to fall because our hearts are already broken and the devil feeds lies that our broken heart wants to believe and so we need to have mess we need to have eyes open to the message of the world we need to keep our eyes open with the truth we're given and the righteousness that we wear these lies are all around us such as when you see billboards like this when they say things like this life is short get a divorce we who are wearing the spiritual armor of God, we need to be asking ourselves, what is spiritually being communicated here? What's the the spiritual message behind this? And how does truth and righteousness combat this? It's messages like this that the enemy uses to to prick our hearts, to tease us. It's It's the enemy saying to us, is your marriage hard? Yes, your marriage is hard, isn't it? You shouldn't waste your life with someone who doesn't make you happy. Life's too short for that. This is a lie. It's a lie the enemy is using against people who are struggling in their marriage, speaking to the broken parts of their hearts and the broken parts of their marriage, which is why we need the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. You know why this is a lie? Because it doesn't tell you everything. What it doesn't tell you is that on the other side of divorce, it doesn't make you happier. Now listen, listen, Let me just say this real quickly. The Bible does provide a path for divorce in certain instances, and God can grant new life after a failed marriage. I've seen it happen, but I'll tell you now, I've had proximity to far too many divorces in my time as a pastor. And more often than not, you're just trading in one level of brokenness for another. Rather than sticking it out for the long haul and seeing what God can do over time, people take the quick route because life's too short and they want to be happy so they take the path of divorce and they destroy their life and they destroy their kids they destroy their families again I'm not saying can God can't grant new life but I'm saying his plan is for unity if God can save our souls he can save our marriages life is short and get a divorce life is short get a divorce and messages like this this is not just a cultural message this is a spiritual message and so we As people wearing the armor of God, you need to have your eyes always open to see the messages of the world. I challenge you, look at some billboards and ask yourself, what's the spiritual message behind that? Filter that through the belt of truth to see what the world is trying to sell you, how the devil is trying to lie to you. This is why we need to be dressed with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Now. It's funny that Paul says this is a breastplate. That's a defensive mechanism. But righteousness is life-protecting, yes, but it's also life-giving. Christians in the house, pop quiz, what is righteousness? I'll give you the answer. Righteousness is what is right before God. There's your simple Sunday school answer. Righteousness is what is right before God, and if it's right before God, then it's good for our souls, it's good for our families, it's good for our culture. And righteousness is the pursuit we have in our lives towards God, but it's also a defense. And so, men and women, many of us are not engaging the fight. We've given ourselves to the folly of the world. But here's what I'm going to say to you that's not who we are in Christ. We are people equipped with righteousness. So let me just speak to the husbands and dads for a moment here. Men, you are the defender, you are the protector. Now, I know that in many ways, I'm a stereotypical dad. I can't help it. I like to be in the garage just because it's the garage. I listen to dad rock. I can't help it. And the other day, I was, quote unquote, helping, I was helping, quote unquote, get the kids ready the other day. And my wife yells from the bedroom, hey, can you grab Georgia's, and by the way, Georgia's my six-year-old. She said, hey, can you grab Georgia's white tights and her white dress with the headband and the flower on it? I'm like, babe, I don't know where any of that is. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's in the house. You're not telling me to go buy it. So, and then she's like, oh, for Pete's sake, I'll just do it myself. Like, I get it. But dads, hear me. You may not be the one getting your kids dressed for the day, but you need to be the ones getting them dressed for battle. You need to be the one making sure that they are wearing the armor of God. Men, do you want to protect your families? You won't always be there. And so the way you protect them when you're not there is making sure that they are wearing the armor of God. That's how you protect your families when you're not there. And when you equip them with the armor of God, you're helping them to be able to both understand and withstand the evil and the pressures of the world that are around us. Men, if you want to protect your family, I'm telling you now, it's not just by having you-know-what in that lock box ready to go at a moment's notice. It's making sure that your family, your kids, are dressed with the armor of God. And how do you do that? You talk to them. You help them process the world. You disciple them. Helping them to see how the lies of the enemy speak to the brokenness of our hearts. And the thing about armor, and really any uniform, is that when I see a soldier dressed in armor, dressed for battle, there's a sense of duty and honor that comes with that, isn't there? It's kind of a majestic, powerful thing. That's how Christians are to be all the time. Because what does sin do? Sin dishonors God. Sin dishonors people who are made in God's image. Sin is shame. And it dishonors you and your family and God. And so when we walk in righteousness before God, that's the antidote for dishonor. But here's the hard truth. Here's the hard truth about righteousness. To wear the breastplate of righteousness is to constantly be reminded that the righteousness you wear does not come from you. It comes from God. He is the one who gives it to you and puts it on you. It's not some, some part of you that needs to be unlocked so that you can find your inner righteousness. You don't have any. You have to be given it from God. That's why it's the armor of God, meaning the armor from God. It's his. And we wear this armor when we place our faith in Jesus. Psalm 31 tells us, in you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge. Let me, be never, let me never be put to shame, In your righteousness deliver me. I'm going to say something that's going to go against the grain of our American culture, but I need to say it because it's biblical truth. Righteousness is not earned. It's imputed to you from God. Now, that's an important term here. And so I need to wade into some deeper theological waters for a second here. Because you need to understand the power and the beauty of righteousness. And when you do, it will change the way you go to work tomorrow. It'll change the way you go to school tomorrow. It'll change your entire outlook on life when you truly understand righteousness. And to do that, you kind of have to understand it theologically. And so Romans chapter 4 tells us that when we believe in Christ, his righteousness is counted towards us. The term here is imputed, not imparted. Imputed is, a, is a, an accounting term. So it's like when you become a Christian, you open a checking account and God deposits your right, his righteousness in your account. That's imputation versus impartation where God writes you a check and you have to go and cash it and find it from within. We're not talking about impartation. We're talking about imputation. That it's counted towards you. It's not yours. It's not given to you. It's his that he ascribes to your account. So when you wear the breastplate of righteousness, you're wearing something that's not yours, that you did not earn, that you did not deserve, yet God gives it to you anyway. This is why we wear the breastplate of righteousness, not in pride, but in gratitude. Because it does not come from us, but yet we wear it. We wear it and we stand as God's righteous own. And it's a powerful and it's a beautiful thing. And we get this when we... Believe in what Jesus has done. And what has he done? He took our place on the cross, dying for our sins, and rising again on the third day. But why did Jesus do this? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in one of the most powerful gospel verses, tells us why. It says, For our sake, for our sake, He, meaning God the Father, he made him, his own son Jesus, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what happened, meaning God placed on Jesus Christ the weight of all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. He took all of that, placed it on the shoulders of his son, and then nailed his son to a cross and watched him die. And when he died, so did your sin. So did your guilt, so did your past, so did your shame. It died with Christ and it stayed dead, although Jesus did not. Jesus rose on the third day and when he rose, he left your sin and shame in the grave, but he rose to a new life that he now gives to you that we live eternally with as we wear the righteousness, not from ourselves, but from him. So wear it on your chest. Let it protect your heart and let it remind you of who you are that when God looks at you, he does not see the sin of a sinner. He sees the righteousness of his son. That's the power of the breastplate of righteousness and that's why we wear it. Not out of pride, but out of immense gratitude because we stand counted as righteousness in God's sight. So don't leave here. Distracted by bread and circus, you're made for more than that. You're made for much more than that. Don't be distracted by the routine life and mindless entertainment that's so available to us through it all you got to remember Christ has won the war he has secured the victory but the battle rages from now until the last day and that's why we are dressed for battle because we are in a battle for the, until the last day and the last days I'm telling you you got to be prepared for them be prepared for them we need to be reminded that life and faith can be hard can be really hard Which is why we really need spiritual armor so that we can stand ready and stand at attention because we are most vulnerable when we are most distracted. So stand. Stand at attention. And by all means, at least once a week, sit down and relax and unwind. This is a good and godly thing. God calls us to rest. We can have rest and we can take a day of rest. It's the godly thing to do, but you must remember the devil doesn't take your day off like that never forget the devil is waiting for you to take your eyes off the prize he wants you to be distracted he wants you to forget there's a spiritual battle all around you this past week i had someone contact me and they said pastor are you going to actually talk about what it means to actually wear the armor not just describe the armor but what does it mean to actually wear the armor and i said certainly am sir so let me boil it down for you. As I said, I'll say it again. To wear the belt of truth means to be ever weighing the message of the world against the message of Christ. That's what it means to wear the belt of truth, that you are surrounded by truth, that everything that truth undergirds your life and you are constantly weighing the message of the world against the message of Christ. That's what it means to wear the belt of truth. To wear the breastplate of righteousness means that we protect our hearts with the truth that we have a righteousness counted to us from God as we pursue the righteous path of God with our lives, as we seek to be Christ-like in this world, knowing that we are already dressed in his righteousness, and this is all empowered by the one and only Holy Spirit who fills us, fuels us, and guides us, living, calling us to live in, into the life that God has called before us. And so, to wear this armor means to be attentive to the spiritual battle that's all around us. So now that we are taking a self-assessment, looking in the mirror, making sure that we're dressed for battle, making sure that we we are aware, from here on out we can look at the battles going on out there and how Christians can present something that can literally change the world. To wear the armor means to be attentive, awake to who the true enemy is, not our neighbor, but the enemy, the devil. So don't be entertained to the point where you're no longer effective. Don't be pacified to the point where you've surrendered all of your influence rather stand, stand at attention, because we are most vulnerable when we are most distracted, distracted by the lies of the devil and distracted by the desires of our broken hearts. So put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Amen. So let's stand at attention right now and give our attention to God and worship. Let's stand. Would you bow your heads? Would you consider the armor of God and the fact that you are dressed in it right now. Would you raise one hand in the air, with your heads down, arm one hand in the air, preparing to give your full attention to to God and what he's done for us in the gospels we celebrate now. So Father, we come before you, asking God that you would again fill this place, fill this people with the power and presence of your spirits and with the knowledge of the gospel for your glory, God. Unite us that we may be able to give our attention to you here now in praise and adoration and worship. Help us to be people standing, singing loudly for your namesake. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship everyone.